Welcome to the Great Western Woods World Building Podcast with me, Angeline Trevina, and me, H.B. Lyne. Join us as we talk all things world building. Get tips and advice for creating rich and immersive worlds for your stories, whether you're an aspiring author or wanting to level up your world building for future books. We'll be digging deep into our own experiences and sharing what we've learned along the way to publishing over 15 books between us in five years. So get comfy and grab a cuppa. Let's get world building. Holly here flying solo today. Welcome to the show if you are listening for the first time and if this isn't your first time here, welcome back. I would really appreciate it if you would take a quick screenshot of your device as you listen to this and share it on social media. It's a great way to spread the word and encourage other people to listen. You can tag us on Instagram at Great Western Woods Podcast and on Twitter at The GWW Podcast. So, on with the show. Just a quick personal and life update for me. Um, First of all, I got my novella from Ashes to Echoes published and sent off to the people on the waiting list. So that was really exciting and I can't wait to get feedback from my readers on that. And I am now preparing for NaNoWriMo and I'm trying very hard not to freak out. It's all going to be fine. I'm writing three short stories this November, rather than the traditional 50,000 word novel, although I am still aiming for 50,000 words, but it's going to be split into three short stories. So I need to plan those out and make sure they all flow together and are connected and work together as three separate stories, but also one longer uh, story arc. So that's quite exciting. So, what I wanted to talk to you about today is world building, (laughs) that's why you're here. And I thought I would take this opportunity while I'm on my own to really indulge myself a little bit and talk about my world that all of my books are set in. You may know if you've listened before, I think I have mentioned this once or twice, that all of my novels and novellas and short stories that I have published to date are all set in the same world. And for the most part, they follow the same group of characters. And this world has been built up over a lot of time. And uh, it's a real labour of love, a real passion project. And I am obsessed with this world. And so I wanted to talk to you a bit about how it came to be and how it all works and what that means for me as an author. So... Um, most of my books take place in a city called Kerton, which is a fictional city, but I also have another fictional city called Oris. Now, Oris is based on the city of York, which is near to where I grew up and not that far from where I live now, and it's a really inspirational place to me. It's a really old city, it's all cobbled streets and little old Tudor buildings that lean in towards each other and there's a great big minster and the city is encircled by a great big wall Um, and yeah it's just a really atmospheric place 
it's um, where I went to college and uh, I had one of my first jobs there. I worked in a theatre. I spent a lot of time in York and it was, you know, a really special place to me during formative years of my life. So obviously it's been an inspiration to me. And even the name of the city, Oris, comes from the uh, ancient Roman name for what became York, which was Ibarica. And I did a bit of linguistic jiggery-pokery with that to see how it might have changed over the centuries and could potentially have become Oris rather than York, just a different linguistic branch and you would have a different name. And I, I obsess about names for places like that and etymology and how language changes over time. So I really enjoyed doing the research for that and figuring that out. That's a real indulgence of my inner nerd. So um, the idea for the book, I have one book set in Oris, and the idea for it originally came from watching John Wick Chapter 2, actually, even though what I ended up writing was completely different in tone and style and everything. But the original inspiration was when John Wick goes to Rome to do a job and there are these amazing catacombs under the city. And I just knew that my next book had to have these awesome catacombs in. So um, I knew I couldn't set the book, or I'd rather I chose not to set the book in a real place because I wanted to take liberties like that. York itself doesn't actually have a vast web of catacombs underneath it. So I created a fictional city so that I could play with things like that a bit more and have a bit more freedom. And yeah, that was the, the jumping off point for the whole book. Um, but my main series, as I said, is The Shifters of Kerton. Um, there are four novels in that series and a whole load of short stories and a novella. And it's an ever-increasing universe. I have no intention to stop writing in that universe anytime soon. My uh, The short stories that I'm writing for NaNoWriMo are going to be part of that universe and set partially in Kerton, but I am actually starting off in London, but my characters will then go to Kerton. Um, and yeah, it's it's um, it's almost as real to me as, as a real place, actually, Kerton. It's very, very close to my heart, and much of it is extremely vivid to me. Now, where the name of that city comes from, Kerton, is from an old Welsh word, care, and it, over time, has evolved. It has become castle. Um, or certainly one one of the routes that the word took became castle. And it means fortress or stronghold. And the uh, the precise location of Kerton is undisclosed in the books, but it was conceived as an alternative to the city of Bristol in the southwest of England, uh, which is just across the like the estuary from Wales. So it made sense that there would be some Welsh language influence in the place. I also have uh, a character um, in the in the novels called Rhys Blevins whose name is Welsh and the meaning in Welsh is significant so if you happen to speak a little Welsh and you know what that means then that might be a bit of a spoiler for you but 
yeah, um, I love doing things like that, little linguistic tricks and secrets hidden in the words. Uh, and it's also implied within the story that he is perhaps from Wales or, um, or that his family are from Wales. But I never explicitly say that. Um, there is, I, I've written a, a rough history of Caerton going back 2000 years to the original Care. Um, and it's not really included in the books, but I wrote it for myself and I occasionally drop little bits of it into the books. It's just a little texture, you know, a layer of history throughout the series that hopefully helps to bring it all to life and make it feel real because, you know, in the real world, we're not completely, we're not living in isolation from, from the past of a place, you know, the, the past of a place leaves an imprint in the architecture, in the road layouts, in everything about the place, the culture of the place even. So it's important, and it was important to me to think about the uh, development of the city, because it's a huge metropolis. It's supposed to be sort of comparable to Birmingham or, or Manchester, one of the bigger cities in the UK. So, um, you know, cities like that don't just spring into being. They grow and grow over a very long period of time. And, you know, bits get bolted on just as the needs of a people change and the whole place evolves. And it was important to me to give some consideration to that uh, so that it would, you know, so that everything would make sense. You know, it makes sense that the docks are in the north on the coast and, uh, you know, they, they're they not like, it's not a fishing port, it's, uh, it's industrial. It's, you know, they build ships and so it made sense that they would have built battleships during World War II. And if they did that, then surely it also made sense that they got bombed during the Blitz in World War II. And I have a character who's a shapeshifter and his first change was triggered during the Blitz, during the trauma of working in a factory as a small boy and being there when it got bombed. And that triggered his first change and it was an incredibly traumatic experience for him. And that's all there because I had given some thought to this history. So as a writer, I think that's really important. I think it enriches your world and your characters. If you think about the past and what what's important in the history of your city. So um, moving on, um, a lot of the, the layout, the geography and some of the history of Caerton was inspired by Bristol, which it's a stand-in for, uh, because that's where I was living at the time uh, when this story first began to um, create itself. So some of the areas uh, are inspired by areas of Bristol. Um, some of the descriptions of locations may be recognisable to people who live in Bristol now, maybe not, but a lot's changed over the years and I I did take from the original inspiration and run with it and make it my own, so maybe not. But maybe, it, it might be a little familiar to some people. The castle that the, um, the final climax of the series of novels 
takes place. There's a, a huge battle, and it happens at this castle, and the castle in Bristol, or the ruins of the castle in Bristol, was very much the inspiration and was in my mind as I wrote it. And yeah, that that's one of the main things that might be recognisable. So I I built up this world, as I said, over time, and I do have quite detailed notes. I have a, an A4 notebook which is almost completely full and I have reams and reams of notes on the world and how it works. So when you're world building you're not just creating a place, you're also creating a culture. You, If you're writing fantasy you may also be creating you know, fantasy creatures. So uh, so I wanted to talk a bit about that aspect of world building here as well. So in this world that my books are set, every human legend has its basis in fact. There are spirits, demons, ghosts, vampires, shapeshifters, monsters, fairies, goblins, witches, the whole shebang. Various human pantheons are real and each has their own realm. So for example, Asgard is real, and Olympus is real, and characters can travel there with some difficulty. <laughs> um, but each realm is real, and supernaturals can cross between the realms at will, or in some cases with the use of doors. Some realms can be accessed by humans through a door, uh, and that plays quite a big part in the third novel of the series, um, Demons of the Past. There is a, a plotline with a human girl who is unwittingly crossing the veil between worlds into another realm, and um, I, won't, I won't spoil it, but yeah, she has no recollection of doing so, but she does that on an almost daily basis. Um, the gods are real, but they are distant. They don't show up in my books. They are still very much deities. They are separate from the mundane creatures of the earth. Um, but most of my shapeshifters do venerate one or more of the gods. And there is no, like to my shapeshifters, there's no contradiction in mixing pantheons. They quite happily will worship um, Artemis from Greek myth and Odin from Norse myth and um, Osiris from Egyptian myth. There's, there's no conflict there, they are all real to shifters um, and they, they will treat them as such, they will worship them as if, as if they were real. Um, but the, the lesser beings than the gods do have dealings with Earth and its inhabitants, mainly with shapeshifters. Um, and there are different groups within shifter community who worship different gods more um, ardently. So, for example, there is a group of enemy shapeshifters uh, called the Furies, and they believe they were created by Nyx the Greek goddess, uh, goddess of the night, uh, whereas curtain shifters, the Furies kind of live outside the city, they encircle it, the shifters within curtain believe they were created by Artemis, a different Greek goddess. 
but there is a group within the Shifters of Kerton who call themselves Odin's Warriors, and they fight for Odin. They are an army, and uh, they believe that Odin grants them extra special abilities and powers, and different forms that they can shift into. And I also have another group, uh, the Scroll Keepers, who are more interested in the Egyptian gods. And they, uh, they're very into death. <laughs> so the Egyptian gods of death and the underworld are a big deal to them. So within this world, there are several conflicts, like big large-scale conflicts between groups. So you have the Chosen of Artemis, who are in conflict with the Furies over quite ideological um, points of view. So the Shifters of Kerton believe that, um, sorry, the Chosen of Artemis believe that their job is to protect humanity from demons and that it's best, they can best fulfil that role if they keep themselves hidden from humanity and protect them in secret. Uh, they probably quite rightly feel that if humans knew about them, they would hunt them and lock them up, experiment on them, kill them, would be terrified of them because of the powers that they have. Whereas the Furies, the Chosen of Nyx, believe that it's their role to dominate humanity, to enslave them and rule over them, and that their shape-shifting abilities make them closer to gods and that they should lord power over humanity in the style of gods and they do not care about keeping themselves hidden they are quite willing to fight openly in front of humans and kill humans to get what they want so this massive ideological difference is the cause of one of the major conflicts throughout the series which all comes to a head in the fourth novel. So this is all part of the world building, creating these two opposing cultures and figuring out why they dislike each other, why they, why there is a conflict and why it can't be resolved very easily. They have such differing views. How could they reconcile them and live comfortably side by side? It, it can't happen. Um, the other major conflict within the series is that there is also another group um, of shifters who call themselves the Spiral Hand, and they are an extremely dangerous, uh, I want to say society, but it's not really a society. They, they are believed to usually work alone. They are like undercover agents. They could be anyone. No one knows who they are. And there is a huge amount of mistrust between shifters because there is always this question mark of, well, are they spiral hand? They could be spiral hand. Now, what it is believed the spiral hand generally want, or that they believe, um, is that Ragnarok is coming from Norse myth, the end of the world, the apocalypse. Uh, Ragnarok is coming and that chaos and fear and death are going to win, that the world of humanity will be overturned, that the demons will cross the veil and manifest in the human world, and life as we know it on Earth is over. And they 
don't want to die. <laughs> um, they want to be on the winning side, so they ally themselves with demons of chaos and death and fear. They will seek out these demons, make deals with them, agree to do work for them, and generally try to curry favour with these very evil beings in order to hopefully then be spared when Ragnarok comes. And this is considered incredibly dangerous. <laughs> so most of the shifters in the city are concerned that there is a spiral, ha spiral hand agent at work in the city doing uh, very unpleasant things to try and um, encourage the coming of Ragnarok. And because they could be anyone and they are um, very, very secretive, that's a running arc throughout the whole series. Who, who could this be? And again, that's a conflict that can't easily be reconciled. Spiral Hand tend to be completely insane because what they want is so at odds with humanity and the way a human would think that, you know, as a, as a human myself, <laughs> I can <laughs> subjectively say that the spiral hand are insane. Of course, to themselves, they believe they're completely rational and just trying to preserve their own lives, albeit at the cost of many, many other lives. So there is a lot of antagonism between the different groups of supernaturals, conflicts of interest, you know, um, all this doubt and suspicion. So cooperation between different groups of shifters is quite rare. Um, and there are, you know, they're very territorial beings. So even beyond this thing of Spiral Hand, the packs dislike each other and they, they argue over borders of territory and, um, you know, they fight over new shifters who are changing, you know, if they um, live on neutral territory or right on the border of territory, you would get two packs kind of fighting to claim that shifter to be one of their own. So there's a, a huge amount of conflict in my books and conflict from all different sides. And and I love that. That's, that's my, um, that's what I love writing about, that kind of uh, conflict and um, complicated relationships and the uh, the other sort of layer to the world um, <clears throat> I mentioned about there being different realms there is the shifter home realm if you like which I completely invented is not based on any um, you know, ancient myths or anything but the the realm is called Hepethia and it's an entirely crystalline realm. And this was another one of those things where I was trying to work out how how can I make this work? How can you know how can it be kind of inspired by reality? And one of the things I I researched and absolutely fell in love with is that crystals, you know, um, can mimic their surroundings. And and that just seemed to fit so perfectly with 
shapeshifters. I felt like if shapeshifters, you know, if they come from another place, then what would that place be like? And it made sense to me that the place itself could shapeshift. So I made Herpethia be crystalline. And shapeshifters can consciously, but it also sometimes happens subconsciously that their actions just make the place change. But they can force it to change to suit their needs. So if a pack, for instance, really needs to have a fortress, they can make Herpethia, you know, on their territory, look like a fortress for their own protection. And, yeah, they can do whatever they they want to with with the space. Um, but, yeah, it can also be changed by their actions if... If you're dealing with a particularly violent pack who are always getting into fights, then Herpethia might shape itself to be a battleground. If there's a massive explosion in the human world that leaves a great big crater in, in the place of something, then across the bell in Herpethia, that reflects. And it, Herpethia shapes itself around those events, and, and you will get a similar... Um, or an extreme exaggeration of what happened in the human world. Now, the veil between worlds can be, um, it can be breached, it can be broken, and when that happens, all sorts of nasties can come leaking through. And this is why the Chosen Artemis have a job. Um, when the veil does uh, get breached and demons come through, um, demons are not from Herpethia, they are from other realms. Um, it's generally believed that sort of um, real, like, fear, you know, nasty, dark demons uh, come from um, the... It's, this is all based on Norse myth, and that they come from uh, Niflheim, or Helheim, which is the home of the dead. Um, those sort of big fire demons and, um, you know, really, uh, sort of explosive, big, you know, not subtle demons come from Mospelheim, which is the home of fire giants. Um, you have the, uh, Svartalfheim, which is the home of dark elves in Norse myth. So they are the more sort of creepy, fear, darkness demons. They come from Svartalfheim. So, every now and then, demons do find their way across the veil from one of these realms and end up in Herpethia or in the human world. And shifters have to deal with that. They can't just let these demons run loose and um, kill people uh, or harm people. So they have to send them back to where they came from. And that is a, a lot... Uh, a lot of the plot points in my books focus or centre around dealing with those demons. As well as demons, there are fae, and they tend to be nice. <laughs> we like fae. Uh, fae are nature spirits, basically. Um, they sometimes inadvertently cause harm, but it's not intentional. Um, for instance, you will get uh, winter fae who thrive on cold and they may make it too cold. For instance, um, you know, if 
a homeless person were to perish because of the cold, and um, the winter fay would feed on that. So the the fay need to be appeased sometimes and uh, sort of kept in line a bit to make sure they don't do too much harm. But they are not generally malicious beings. And quite often um, my characters will have allies who are fae. Um, there are also constructs, which are um, beings created out of human endeavour. So um, anything to do with construction, electricity, power, um, you know, the, the building of things, the creation of things by humans, that kind of innovation will cause a construct to come to be. Um, and they can be allies as well. There are quite a few uh, construction-based allies um, among my uh, shifter groups and packs. So this world is multifaceted. <laughs> it's, it's incredibly um, rich and diverse. And I didn't sit down one afternoon or even every day for six months and create this whole world before I ever started writing a word of story. This world has evolved organically while I was writing. It's built up over a lot of time and through little bits of research here and there, but it's largely been created just as I needed it, as I needed an answer to a story question. I needed a justification for something, a reason for something to be the way it was, then I would bolt on that piece of the world. And that is how I really recommend people go about world building. There is a certain amount to be gained by sitting down and consciously deciding, I'm going to world build now. But for me, that's not how it works most of the time. And I do think that's where writers can get lost and get caught up in the world building at the expense of their writing. So I recommend just jump in, start writing and build the world around the story as you need it. Having said that I created this 2000 year long history, it's like half a page of A4. It's not, it's not incredibly detailed, it's a very rough uh, timeline. And really everything else in my world building is in my books. It's there because it needed to be. I don't have great, you know, parts of world building that I have done that have never made it into the books because that's not the way I function as a writer. That doesn't work for me. What works for me is writing the story and having the world develop as part of that process. And one word that I really um, that really resonates with me. Um, I, I don't tend to just say I'm writing, I say I'm engaged in novel craft um, or storytelling, but I, I like novel craft, it just, I don't know, it pleases me, That's the sound of it pleases me. And that covers all of it, that covers planning your story, doing your world building, writing the, the first draft, editing, you know, revising, writing second and third drafts. It's it's the whole thing. So 
that's the word I kind of focus on, novel craft. Okay, so that's quite a bit about my world that I write in, my playground, my sandbox. And if you like the sound of it, then you may like to know that I am giving away 10 copies of my digital box set, Shifters of Curtain. You can find the details on my Instagram. I'm at hbline, that's L-Y-N-E, and you can find it if you go on my profile, it's, it's a fairly recent post. I'm celebrating getting 1,000 followers on Instagram, it's now actually over 1,100, and I am going to give away 10 copies of this digital box set, which normally retails at $5.99, and you can get it for free by liking that post, commenting on it, and sharing it in your stories. I would absolutely love to uh, to see you over there. So do come along and enter the giveaway. That's going to be closing on uh, Friday, the 11th of October. So make sure you log into Instagram and go enter that giveaway before then. So thank you very much for listening and letting me indulge myself with this ramble around my world. Please don't forget to subscribe, and if you have a minute, leave a review, and don't forget to share. We'll be back next week with another joint episode, so I'll see you then. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Great Western Woods World Building Podcast. We'll be back next week with more writing tips and tricks. You can find us in all the usual places. We're on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. And all the show notes and whatnot are on our website at greatwesternwoods.com. On our website, you can also find the link to join our band of adventurers and access our monthly online world building chat sessions.